Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, November 1st, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster only working from my hotel room in Atlanta before I head off to the airport to travel to Houston because of what happened on Sunday night here at Truist Park. Before we talk about that, Major League Baseball, the whole community got bad news yesterday uh, with the news that Jerry Remy passed away at age 68. He, of course, the longtime broadcaster of the Red Sox after a 10-year playing career. He was initially diagnosed with lung cancer in 2008 and suffered relapses multiple times, including this year. He returned to Fenway Park to throw out the ceremonial first pitch on October 5th when the Red Sox faced the Yankees in the American League wildcard game. Remy played second for the Red Sox from 1978 to 1984, and he joined the Nesson booth in 1988, becoming a beloved broadcaster for that franchise. All right, before the World Series Game 5, we got word that Dusty Baker shook up his lineup. Alex Bregman had been really struggling, of course, through the first four games of this World Series and and through the uh, previous round of the ALCS. And so he dropped him to seventh in the lineup. Yuli Gurriel moved up to the number five spot, Carlos Correa to the number three spot. In the bottom of the first inning, with the Atlanta Braves just one win away from winning the World Series, Adam Duvall came to the plate with the bases loaded. And this is what happened against Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez ready, and the first pitch to Duvall, a swing and a fly ball, high in the air, deep right field, Bradley back, gone! An opposite field grand slam for Adam Duvall as the Braves dug out empties, and Atlanta is rolling early up 4 to nothing. And that was a great call by Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio because, yes, when Duvall hit that ball, the so many players spilled out of the Atlanta dugout. Like, they felt like, boy, okay, getting these early runs meant that this might be the night that they would all clinch championship rings. The crowd was absolutely going nuts. Taylor, that was like a, a crowd that you would have loved. I mean, they showed up <laughs> yesterday in Atlanta, and they partied like crazy from about noon on to get ready, and they were completely juiced for the start of that game. I mean, when you got the trophy in the building, I mean, I, I don't blame them. And, and all these crowds have been awesome. I'm very excited to see yeah. how Houston is uh, for game six. Oh, I'm sure they'll be completely jacked up, too. Uh, the Braves started in this game. Tucker Davidson, who threw just 20 innings in the big leagues in 2021. Atlanta having to go with openers in games four and five because in part of the injury to Charlie Morton in game one, he suffered that uh, fractured leg. In the second inning, the Astros really began to get to Davidson. Look back at the runner at second and the 2-2 and a swing and a line drive. Right center field, well hit ball. It splits the outfielders. It gets to the base of the wall. Guriel is in to score. Tucker's held at third. Bregman is at second with an RBI double. And Houston is on the board, now trailing 4-1. to one. Yeah, big moment for Alex Bregman to get that hit in that spot. They added another run in that inning, and so they were alive. In the top of the third inning, they continued to make progress. The 3-2, a swing and a line drive to left center field for a base hit. This is going to get a run home. Altuve will come in to score. Bradley around to third. Sliding into second is Correa. 
with an RBI double, and the Astros are back within a run. And the score would be tied for all going into the bottom of the third inning. Freddie Freeman came to the plate. The 3-2 to the real Freddie Freeman is swung on and hit to right center field, and you can forget about it. Wow, what a blast by Freddie Freeman. And the Braves have the lead back. It's 5-4. to four. Yeah, that was measured at about 460 feet. Now, Snitker, uh, because Davidson didn't last uh, beyond the third inning, had to go to his bullpen. And A.J. Minter came up, was on the mound for the Braves in the fifth inning in a spectacular postseason for him. But I must say, he looked really tired. The Astros loaded the bases. Martin Maldonado came to the plate. And you could see right away that he it was moved up on home plate almost like he was trying to get hit by a pitch. Minter was struggling to throw strikes, and this is what happened. Here's the 3-1. Maldonado runs up as if to bunt, but just to distract Minter, and he'll take the pitch inside for ball four, and that's going to force in a run. And so after that happened, that's when Snicker came out and got Minter. Chris Martin came into the game. Marwin Gonzalez pinch hit for the Astros. And the first pitch to Gonzalez, a swing and a little flare, left field, and it drops for a base hit. Guriel in to score, Bregman behind him, to second, and stopping there is Maldonado. Gonzalez with a pinch hit, two-run single, and the Astros have taken a 7-5 lead. And they would tack on two more runs. Here was Dan's call in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the 2-2 again, and a swing and a miss. He got him. And the Astros will win it 9-5. So there will be no World Series celebration here in Atlanta tonight for the Braves and their fans here at Truist Park. The Astros, the bats wake up. They come to life. They just keep on coming, inning after inning in this one. And we got a ball game for you Tuesday night in Houston. And right after that, I spoke with Carlos Correa. Carlos, when Duvall hits the grand slam in the bottom of the first inning, what's the conversation among you guys when you get back to the dugout? We had the conversation uh, before the game. We're not going to give up. We're not going to go out there and not fight. And, you know, even though they scored those four runs, we knew what we had to do. We had to go out there, put pressure once again, and we responded very well in that next inning. And, uh, you know, I think the, 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 we put great at-bats together. Uh, today, we haven't been able to do that all series, and that was the key to winning this game. What felt like a turning point moment as you guys are coming back? Just, just everybody seeing the ball well, putting good at-bats together. Um, it seemed like we were not seeing the ball well at all the first two games here, and you know we were not um, working the right way to, towards scoring those runs, and today we did. So we gotta, we got to figure out a way to do that for two more games. Dusty shakes up the lineup for this game. What did you see in your offense? I saw explosion today. I saw great at-bats. I saw play discipline, and I saw a lot of barrels. So we just got to go out there. We got, uh, what, Freed, and we got Anderson. We got to do that against them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very confident right now. How you feeling about going home down 3-2? You know, it's, it's not where you want to be uh, going home. But, you know, we were, we were down 3-1 before this game. Now we're 3-2. So we just got to go out there and focus on the next game. That's game six. All right. Carlos, thanks. Yeah, in 2017, when they played the Yankees, they were down 3-2. to two. They, in that series, seemingly were unnerved by the loud crowd at Yankee Stadium, and they returned home to Houston, and they won game six and seven to win the American League Championship Series. So there's precedent for these core Astros to come back from a deficit. Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, talked about Duvall's first inning grand slam. 
So I always say if it's going to happen, let it happen early. Uh, you know, you don't want it to happen in the, in the middle of the game or toward the end of the game. You know, the guys came through. You know, that's that's what, what counts. And uh, today really felt like, you know, the World Series because we got to go on the field and see all the people and see all the media. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, it felt like the World Series where the others, you know, felt like we were coming out of, you know, the dungeon and just going to play. And uh, so that was big, uh, the fact that we got to, you know, get on the field. He talked about the Astros' comeback. Well, it's very special. I mean, but the hardest thing to do is to do it the first time. And then once you do it the first time, then you you figure that you can do it the, the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth time. So, you know, then you call upon your, your past, you know, for confidence that, you know, that you can do it. A lot of people that haven't been there, you're like, oh, okay, I can do it when I get there. But you really don't know until you get there, you know, if you can do it. So, I mean, this team has, has a very strong mind, strong-willed, dealing with adversity, dealing with booing, dealing with this with the amount of negative energy that was that was cast our way throughout the year. Braves manager Brian Snitker talked about this game. I'd much rather score that big run like in the seventh inning. We don't have so much time to cover. Yeah, it was it was good. I mean, that was exciting right there. And and um, but we knew it was still had a long, long way to go in that game and anything could happen. So it'd been great if we could have kind of kept adding on a little bit. Just hard to do that. He was asked how much he would have liked to have won at home. I'll take it anywhere. I, I mean, I don't care where we're at. I mean, if we can win a World Series, it doesn't matter to me where it is. I mean, I'd love to have done it in front of our fans. Uh, hopefully we can, you know, do it in the next couple of days. Adam Duvall talked about his emotions after losing the lead. It's a nine-inning ball game. We celebrated it. We, you know, we got excited. And, you know, that's what you do when you hit home runs. You know, it's it's a long game. Uh, that happened in the in the bottom of the first. So it's, it's a nine-inning game. And, and they didn't quit. They uh, they kept fighting. Um, we weren't able to uh, get it going again and, and keep the pressure on. Um, hats off to their pitchers. They, you know, they kept us there um, when they needed to. So. A.J. Minner, uh, of course, was on the mound in the fifth inning, was asked if he felt fatigued or if it was just a poor outing. I mean, I wouldn't even call it a bad outing, honestly. I felt like my stuff was just as sharp tonight as any other outing. Um, I was getting ahead of hitters. I felt like I was 0-2, 1-2 almost every hitter. And those guys, they made good quality swings on two strikes. Um, Yeah, I guess I could have left, made some better pitches with two strikes. But um, with Correa, I had him 0-2, left a cutter up, base hit. um, Got a good strikeout against Alvarez. And then Guriel, he backdoor cutter, and he stuck his bat out there and had a good hit as well. Um, Obviously, with uh, Maldonado, you know, I could tell he was going up there trying to, you know, work a walk. For me, it was just, you know, I tried to aim the ball instead of just driving the, to the mitt. And that's obviously the one thing I would take back. And then a dram shot to a flare shot to score two runs, just like that. Not worried about it. Um, been pitching good, been feeling good, and I still feel good. So I'll be ready to go game six. Gatorade knows there are many paths to greatness. Sometimes it starts with a goal. Sometimes you need to show grit. Sometimes the journey is a grind. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, a couple things. Tuesday night is game six. And of course, you can listen to that on ESPN radio. Tune in time for that is 7 p.m. Eastern for full pregame coverage. You should be watching NBA today, Monday through Friday. 
3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN or the ESPN app, or you can also listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's our new NBA studio show. Check it out. And finally, Swagoo and Perk, ESPN's newest podcast. You can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. It's also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Ooh, that's pretty exciting. That's Marcus Spears, Kendrick Perkins. Great new show. Love those guys. Listen to Swagoo and Perk again wherever you consume podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash buster. Just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, uh, for anybody who's in baseball, under the baseball's umbrella on Sunday, it was a really sad day. Uh, the day starting out with the news of Jerry Remy passing away. Uh, longtime second baseman for the Boston Red Sox, he wound up playing 10 years in the big leagues in All-Star 1978. Uh, and then, of course, having that long, long career as a Red Sox broadcaster. Uh, I'm sure that you had a lot of conversations in your life with Jerry Remy. I did, and I enjoyed every one of them. I used to enjoy watching him play. Little guy who could really run. He left his feet defensively about as well as any second baseman I've seen. Great drag, bunter, really good player in his day. But way more important was what he did as a broadcaster for everyone else in the business. He made me laugh so many times, not just in person, but on the air. And to really enjoy the game as much as he did and be as insightful as an analyst as he was. Uh, that's a rare combination these days. And I was just so sad yesterday and still am today to hear that news. This is a terrible loss for Red Sox Nation, but for baseball fans everywhere, because anyone who ever came in company with Jerry Remy, he, he made them smile, he made them happier, and he made them smarter. What a terrible loss. 
that uh, that clip. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you remember it. It was uh, you know it, uh, that uh, of Jerry Remy uh, essentially doing analysis of a uh, on about a piece of pizza that was thrown at a fan uh, at Fenway Park from 2007. Uh, was to me encapsulated so much that was fun about Jerry Remy, where it was self-deprecating because he's kind of making fun of himself for doing the analysis of the, this piece of thrown pizza and just cracking up Don Arcillo. We're going to play that later in the podcast. I'm sure you remember it. I, I do, of course. It's famous. And, you know, to waste a perfectly good piece of pizza, as Jerry Remy said, and that combination of him and Don Orsillo together, when they got to laughing at a major league game, it was so infectious. You, you couldn't stop laughing if you're listening to them. And again, Buster, we know all about how, you know, how difficult baseball is to play. I've said forever, you better have a good laugh with this game once in a while. And that that pizza clip is, is absolutely famous. If, if, if people at home haven't seen it, you got to you got to watch it. It's just hysterically funny. And it's so classic Jerry Remy. It totally personifies who he was as a guy and as a broadcaster. Yeah. And he came through seven different bouts of cancer uh, throughout the first pitch before the wild card game that the Red Sox played against the Yankees at the outset of this year's postseason. Um, you know, the, the news for me was a surprise. I, you know, he, when he was brought in on a golf cart, he passed the, the, in front of the Red Sox dugout where I was getting ready for a hit and, you know, made eye contact and he pointed and, and, uh, gave a smile. And I must say, because I'd seen him, you know, come through this so often, it was just an absolute surprise to get that news yesterday, uh, and, and devastating. All right. Uh, let's talk about the World Series. You are at the airport this morning. It's 645 in the morning that we're taping this. And, you know, normally we call this a baggage claim Monday. We need to call this a caffeine Monday because not only are the relievers on fumes in this uh, World Series, not only are the managers on fumes in this series, but anyone who's covering it at this point is on fumes. Tim, how are you doing? Uh, <laughs> well, I've already had a Diet Mountain Dew because I got to the airport at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. for a 7:45 in order to get some things together. And right. what's wrong podcast. with you? What is wrong uh, with you? You realize that when you get to the airport at five in the morning, you they didn't they don't put you on the plane right away. Yeah, well, the airport here in Hartford is very busy, even in the TSA pre-line. So I had to make sure there was no issues. Plus, I had to milk a couple cows when I got here and bale some hay. So don't tell me about getting up early in the morning. Nobody, but nobody gets up earlier than you. Just let me get to the airport and let me get to my gate. That's what makes me happy because I can't bear to miss a flight. What time did you uh, get to? You got like an hour of sleep, I think. An hour and a half, 90 minutes. I'm good, though, at sleeping on the plane. And when I get to Houston, I likely will take a short nap and I will get through it because I can talk myself into stupid things like that. So when Adam Duvall hit that grand slam in the first inning last night, you need to confess this. Did you start making travel plans? back to your home in Maryland, uh, assuming that the World Series is going to end last night. 
I did. I, I even got a printed out boarding pass with uh, everything because, as you know, I have to print everything out because I'm not putting it on my phone. I need to have it in my hands because I'm 64 years old. So, yes, I, I made the flight. I printed it out. I was ready to go. And about an hour and a half later, I was going to Houston because that's how quickly it turned uh, in that game. Just amazing. Yeah. And it didn't it feel like that, uh, you know, what the Astros did in response to that 4-0 lead was classic Astros, right? I mean, the reason why that they're in this position is because of that depth and toughness of that lineup. And they just had great at-bats uh, as they worked their way back. Yeah, it was really impressive, Buster. And of course, that's the reason why they were the best team, offensive team in the American League this year. That's why they put it in play more often. That's why they take tougher at bats than anyone else. It's why they're so tested in October compared to most teams. And I mean, it's just so beautiful, this game, that (laughs) the last team to be down four runs in an elimination game and come back to win was the Angels in 2002. And, of course, they did that against Dusty Baker's Giants. And now this time it was Dusty Baker's Astros. They came back from a 4 to nothing, nothing deficit to win that game, very emphatically. That was really impressive, the resiliency of the Astros. You can say what you like about them, but do not question them on how tough they are when, it, when the tough times really come. Tim, I told you the story before uh, about going up to Bruce Bochy, someone I've known a long time uh, while he was managing the 2014 World Series. uh, And, you know, he was undergoing some criticism. And I walked up to him before the game and I said, hey, Boch, I'm trying to keep track. Are you a complete idiot today or are you a total genius? Because that's the nature of managing in the World Series. They told that story to Brian Sitker the other day and he just laughed. Um, because he gets it like this is uh, you have a whole bunch of people drop in on the World Series. Brian Sitker knows his team better than anyone. Uh, he's in an unprecedented situation because of the loss of Charlie Morton. He had to have bullpen games and games four and five. As that was playing out last night, I, I felt like there were a couple of spots where he waited longer than I expected to to reach for his bullpen. Um, you know, definitely they start Tucker Davidson who hadn't pitched in the big league since June. Uh, and he, you know, he gets through the first inning with that double play, but the telltale sign for me, the red flag for me was the fact that he was walking guys. And once he issued his second walk in the second inning, I looked out to the bullpen expecting to see someone up and there wasn't anybody up. And then later in the fifth inning, uh, he had AJ Minner in the game. He's trying to, and it sort of take control of the game with a 5-4 lead. The Astros had a string of right-handed hitters coming up. And again, I looked out to the bullpen expecting to see someone up and ready to go. And and uh, he did eventually get Martin up and ready to go. But I thought he brought him in too late uh, for that moment. Snit talked about after the game how he was just hoping to get some more outs from these group and this really difficult time to find 27 outs. What was your feel as you're watching that play? Yeah, I thought he went too long with Tucker Davidson. You know, here we laugh and joke. Oh, you start a guy and you only throw him 15 pitches or only faces four batters. 
but he stayed a little too long with him. I would not have let him face Altuve to open the third inning. I just wouldn't do that. I know Brantley, a left-handed hitter, was on deck, but that's where I would have said, okay. And with Minter, obviously he must stay with him a little too long, but that's one of his bullpen guys. Brian Snicker is the most loyal guy in the world. This is how we got here. Minter's a big reason why. Great cutter in on your hands, but it didn't happen. So it's going to happen once in a while. The bottom line, Buster, look, I'm no longer angry or outraged at the way we use starting pitching. I think it's ridiculous, and I think it's it's not good for the game in any way. But I've come around to this is the way teams do it, but there's just no way you're going to get away with two games in a row with rookie starting pitchers who together have pitched, you know, 23 and two thirds innings in their major league career. You knew they couldn't get through both of those. And now we're going back to Houston. The situation in the moment now with the, with the Braves leading the series three to two reminds me a lot of what we saw with the Indians uh, against the Cubs in the 2016 world series. You remember that Cleveland, it got to that point. They were had three to one in that world series over Chicago in part because Terry Francona had said, done such a masterful job leaning on key guys in his bullpen. Um, but they, by the end of the world series, those guys, you know, Andrew Miller, uh, et cetera, they were completely exhausted and that showed down the stretch. And I was watching AJ Minner throw last night in that fifth inning. I thought, Oh boy, this is the first time where he looked like he might be a little bit tired. What do you think? Yeah, Buster, it's inevitable. Look at the Dodgers in 2017, how exhausted that bullpen was at the end. Even look last year at the Braves against the Dodgers before the World Series in the LCS. I think that bullpen was tired then. And how could it not be the way we use our bullpens today, not just during the regular season, but even more so in the postseason it's just a matter of time before they run out of bullets because they're so tired from all the work that they're getting. So we'll see whose bullpen is a little fresher for these la- the last game six or maybe the last two games, six and seven, and maybe that will tell us who's going to win the World Series. The reason why the Braves took a three-run lead was because of what happened on Saturday night. Dansby Swanson, Jorge Soler, bottom of the seventh. The 0-2, a fly ball to right field, pretty deep. And it is gone. Just up above the yellow line, ricochets back onto the field. But it's an opposite field home run for Dansby Swanson. And the Braves have tied it. A 2-2 tie, bottom seven in Atlanta. And the 2-1, and a slider hit pretty well deep left field. Alvarez back, jumps, and it's gone. Just over the fence into the Astro bullpen. A line drive homer by Soler, and the Braves have the lead. And that lead was protected by Eddie Rosario making a catch to him that nobody expected. Here's Dan Schulman again. Here comes the first pitch, and a slider hit to left field. Hit pretty well. Rosario back. And he made the catch. Eddie Rosario up against the fence made a backhanded catch right before running into the wall. Boy, he took his eye off the ball and somehow found it at the last second just before hitting the fence. A tremendous play by Rosario, Altuve, and the Astros are retired. 
Tim admitted you were like a lot of the Braves. You were laughing because you were completely shocked that Eddie Rosario made that catch in that moment. Yeah, I think he was shocked that he made that catch in the moment. If you watch him again over and over, it's almost like he gave up on that ball. Not because he just thought, I can't get to this. I can't get to this. I'm just going to throw my glove out there. And then he caught it. And what a tremendous defensive play that was. I still can't believe he caught it. I'm not sure he can believe it. But what a series he's had offensively, obviously, uh, postseason. But he's made a couple of really good defensive plays. That one was the best one. I picked the Braves to win this series in six games before this started, Tim. But I got to say, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think the Braves can win uh, this series unless Max Freed pitches great in game six. And by that, I mean going five or six innings. I think he's got to – he simply has to perform better I just can't imagine the Braves finding a way to win a game seven. What do you think? Well, I'll give Ian Anderson a shot in game seven with the way that he has thrown. But I'm with you on Max Reed. He was one of the best, if not the best pitcher in the National League second half of the season. He was absolutely brilliant in his first start against the Brewers, the game that we did. And no one can hit him when he's right. But he has not been right since that first start against the Brewers. And even though he did pretty well after a slow start in his last start to give them five innings or so, he's their best pitcher. He's their ace. And five, sorry, five is not enough. They need six. They may need seven from him to give that bullpen a rest. And this is what great pitchers are supposed to do. Uh, a lot on Max Fried for game six. My guess is he's going to pitch really well and he's going to have to. So, Tim, the plan is you're going to get on the plane and then you're going to put your jacket over your head, correct? I actually have a hooded sweatshirt, and this is unusual. Uh, I have a sock hat because I'm, I'm the coldest man on the face of the earth for some reason. <laughs> so I may take and I have my big coat on. I look like I'm going to Alaska in the middle of the winter instead of Houston, 81 degrees. But this is what I do on the plane. I sleep better when my head is covered with either a hooded sweatshirt or a hat or both. All right. Well, get some sleep. I'll see you in Houston. Okay, Buster, thanks. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, a reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this morning? I am doing great, Buster. We get more baseball this year, so I'm doing awesome. Yep, absolutely. And for sure, to get at least a game six. And I'm assuming I did uh, radio in a couple spots this morning uh, before we, we, we uh, did the podcast. And I was asked about whether or not Dusty Baker, now that Alex Bregman, you know, got that nice double last night, had better plate appearances, might decide, you know what, let's go back to the uh, let's go back to the lineup the way it usually is Bregman hitting third and Correa hitting fifth and Guriel hitting seventh. And I was like, uh, no, there's no chance that happens. I thought it was the right change at the right time because Bregman struggled that badly. And, and maybe it took some pressure off Bregman. I thought Dusty did, made a nice decision on the fly. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's tough to make those kinds of decisions. We've seen these moments, especially in the World Series before, where a superstar type player gets dropped in the lineup. But it's also kind of exactly what you expected to happen. I mean, when he came up for that at bat and got that hit and in the background, we hear the Braves organist Matthew Kaminsky playing free falling, which was perceptible even on the TV broadcast. I heard it and I was like, oh, my gosh, is he really playing free fall? And that is amazing. And of course he gets the hit there. And this is how baseball works. I mean, these are the moments I do think it takes pressure off. And we were talking on Friday about, you know, what's wrong with Bregman? What have we been seeing? And I do think that a lot of it came from the sort of pressure filled swings that we were talking about. So he just seemed more relaxed overall. He made a couple of great plays in the field and it just seemed like an Alex Bregman game. And I don't think he cares where he's hitting. If he's able to have that game batting seventh and keep him there and have them keep having games like that as they attempt to complete this comeback. Yeah, I wish that I had, uh, I did the post-game interviews last night and I wish that I had asked Bregman whether or not he heard free falling, but I suspect <laughs> that A, he probably didn't hear it because he's, you know, so much into his, into to what he's doing. Yes. Uh, and if he did hear it, he would never admit it to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think that sounds exactly right. And of course, you know, to anyone who is listening who isn't familiar with this, this is what this organist does. And it's amazing. He comes up with these very clever songs to play for every visiting player. And they're usually sort of mocking or funny in some way. So it wasn't really targeted all that badly, but it was in the context of what he does. But, oh, my gosh, it was incredible for those of us watching and those of us who were not locked in uh, to an at-bat in that moment. Yeah, early in the in the series, he had uh, or in the World Series, he had played when uh, Altuve bat. I think it was on Friday night. I'm a little teapot, yep, short and stout. Uh, that's funny that you were locked in on hearing that. And I'd say this, you know, Bregman. Uh, I, I mean, it really. It, we've talked about how much batting practice he's been taking. And I was texting with Jessica Mendoza yesterday afternoon, and she was at the ballpark early to do, uh, I think, some Sports Center stuff. And Bregman was there batting, taking extra BP at 3:30, and he was all excited because he told Jess that, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try this thing. I'm gonna keep my hands on the bat through the follow through." And and I gotta say, Sarah, when I heard that, I thought, "Okay, that's insane." <laughs> he said it was for the first time in his life he was gonna finish his swing with two hands on the bat, and I thought that that might be what he's focused on. So give him credit. Absolutely. Yeah. She, I heard her talking about that on uh, baseball tonight as well and sort of demonstrating too with the microphone, which was a very funny moment. I loved from her, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy that he's trying something brand new in a world series game where he's getting dropped in the order, everything else. But this is why these athletes are so incredible and Hey, it worked. 
Yeah, exactly. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is four. So as we've been alluding to all throughout this, the Astros came back from a four-run deficit last night to win while facing elimination in the World Series. So that four-run deficit is tied for the second largest deficit overcome by a team when facing elimination in World Series history. The largest deficit was five runs, and it was by the Angels in Game 6 of the 2002 World Series. They trailed by five against, of course, Dusty Baker's Giants. And we've talked a lot about Dusty Baker just in this postseason. And, you know, obviously that is not a good memory for him. But what an incredible baseball life to be on either side of two of the largest comebacks facing elimination in World Series history. Number two. Number two is seven and two. So teams to hit a first inning postseason grand slam are now seven and two mm. in postseason history. And both of the losses have come this October. I can still say October for now, talking about yesterday's game, but both of the losses have come this postseason. The Rays in game two of the ALDS, Jordan Luplo hit that. First inning grand slam, the the Red Sox looked totally cooked. The Red Sox came back to win that game. And then last night with Adam Duvall. And it's just incredible that something can happen that many times and be a win, no question. Then all of a sudden, it's actually a loss. Number one. Number one is 47. So the Braves were the 47th team to lead 3-1 in a best of seven World Series in postseason history. 26 of the previous 46, one in five games. So that's already out. They did not do that. 12 of the previous ones, one in six games. So that's still on the table. It went to a seventh game eight times. And the teams have had that 3-1 lead is two and six in those game sevens when it did get there. So the wins were the 1967 Cardinals and the 1972 A's. And the six teams to complete that 3-1 comeback in a best of seven World Series, 1925 Pirates, 1958 Yankees, 68 Tigers, 79 Pirates, 85 Royals, and of course the 2016 Cubs. So the point is here, I think if the Braves really want to be confident based on the history, you probably want to win in six and not let it get to a seventh game because at that point, the team that's attempting to complete this comeback usually has the momentum if momentum is really a thing. Yeah, I think the uh, the 2004 Yankees would agree. <laughs> you know, every time when people say there's no such thing as momentum in baseball, I always think of that series where, and I've asked Alex Rodriguez about this, that as that comeback was occurring and the Red Sox, it was like, when were you worried? And he said, when we lost game four, because you could feel it begin to turn. And and I'm sure on the Braves side, you know, they're they're hoping Max Fried uh, spinning a great curveball at the outset of game six to give them a chance to to move ahead. All right. Before you go, um, we we got news just uh, before I, I jumped on to, to, uh, to talk with you that Tim Hires, the hitting coach of the Red Sox, is moving on. It's a surprise to me because I know, you know, uh, how how, uh, you know, respected he is among the Red Sox hitters. Um, And also, I got a soft spot in my in my heart for him because Tim was a rule five pick of the Padres in 1994 uh, when I was the beat writer covering that team for the San Diego Union Tribune. He's he's turned into terrific hitting coach and they've had a really good offense. 
Well, first of all, that's an amazing connection. I love that. And I love that with just the time you spent in baseball that you can have the that moment or that connection with someone. But I definitely agree that is surprising. I mean, the their offense has been very good under him. And I think of individual players, you know, JD Martinez with the turnaround this year. I know a lot was attributed to the return of in-game video and everything else. But I think that we can all agree that he's been overall very good with the Red Sox. And I think a lot of that has probably been under his tutelage. And, you know, Rafael Devers, he debuted under a different hitting coach, but he's really come into his own in this span. And just overall, this has been one of the most powerful offenses in baseball. I think we take 2020 out for a handful of different reasons, but overall over the last few years, it really has been. So that is pretty surprising. And meanwhile, your favorite team, the Mets, uh, it's just amazing to me. It's like they're standing on a street corner and the, the, like the traffic's flowing by them both ways. Teams are making moves. They're hiring coaches. They're hiring general managers. They're hiring managers. And the Mets are doing nothing. Yeah, it's very interesting to see because as you're mentioning, I mean, a lot of the movement that we were expecting sort of in that manager and above front office, whatever you want to say, uh, in those roles has already happened. You know, Bob Melvin is already the Padres manager and we've seen a couple different things go into motion. So uh, obviously the Cardinals hiring Ollie Marmol and all of those other types of moves. So it, it is surprising. And every time there's one of these moves, my best friend texts me and says, why didn't the Mets get him? Why didn't the Mets get him? You know, with Bob Melvin and everybody else. So it is very interesting to see. But I mean, we have to imagine we're going to be getting some sort of moves Soon. You know, I'm reminded of when the Yankees hired Aaron Boone. I remember that was very late in the winter, given the yeah. timeline. I think it happened in early December, and that was pretty surprising. So it feels like we're headed for maybe a similar timeline there. Absolutely. All right, Sarah, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Safe travels. Thanks so much for having me. I mentioned that clip of Jerry Remy, Don Arcillo, uh, essentially doing play-by-play and analysis of a confrontation between two fans, a, a, a foul ball near the stands at Fenway Park. Uh, Garrett Anderson was playing for the Angels, and he knocks the, some beer cups into some fans accidentally, and then a fan threw a piece of pizza another fan uh taylor you said you'd never seen this clip before uh before i sent it to you this morning no i had never seen it before and what a what a catch on their part because in the initial fracas there you can't really see the pizza and of course they circle back to it important journalism there and uh, i really loved at the at the very end when when he says oh i would i'd eat that pizza because uh that's that's probably where my mind would would about be that that was uh quite quite funny and an appropriate tribute here yeah, I can't completely do it justice here because you don't see the thrown piece of pizza, which is what the, those guys are laughing about. But you can hear the great humor of Jerry Remy. Popped up. Left side ranging is Cabrera now coming as Anderson and interfered with. No. Into the stands, the umpire ruling Tim Timmons and one beverage. Wow. Less than they had before. Wow, what's he got now? He's got mud on him and, and an alcoholic beverage. I think he made a good call here as he, let's see, how does this happen? It wasn't oh. even him. Oh, wow. It's funny. Oh. What did the cool? Oh. What was that that came flying in? No, and Don, between innings, we did some investigative reporting. 
on who uh, and what was thrown at that gentleman. And that gentleman has been ejected, but it was an ugly, ugly sight. And I don't know why it was necessary. Now watch. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today. But why? here comes a pizza. See it? <laughs> oh, jeez. Highly unnecessary. Guy with the Patriots jacket. And, of course, he's been asked to leave the ball game for ruining a good piece of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes some pizza. Uh, I wonder what. Why did he do that? Because he thought he was interfering with a play. Or? Apparently, we have more evidence. Ooh, oh, there it is. There it is. Someone should put that in a bag and I'll tell you take what. that away to make sure that they secure the evidence. Yeah, you know, Horatio Kane of exactly. CSI Miami will be here soon to collect the evidence. I'll tell you what. I'd eat that thing. That looks pretty good. Not bad. A little bit of cheese. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Let's go to Nicholas Iacaruso at Iacaruso Nick 19. Nick writes in, hey, Buster, was Maldonado's walk in the fifth inning of game five the most impressive at bat you've ever seen without swinging the bat? Changed his batting position and outlook just to try to get hit or draw a walk, and he fake bunted 3-1 just to try to throw Minter off. He dominated Minter the whole at bat without even thinking about swinging. That was impressive. It was impressive. I would say this. I, as I said at the top, I thought A.J. Minner was just off. I think he's tired. Uh, but Maldonado coming up with a different plan, that that was really cool. And I love the fact that he's like, I'm, I'm going to just give give the pitcher a different look and I'm going to make him uncomfortable just looming over the plate. And in fact, as he stepped into the box, I, I uh, Eduardo Perez was uh, doing game analysis with Jessica Mendoza and I you know, uh, wrote out on a note to Eduardo. I'm like, look how close he is up on the plate in Eduardo, but talked about it on the broadcast. That was really fun. Let's go to Aussie Sox fan at Nick Halser. Uh, this Nick writes in, would it be crazy for the Braves to see what a trade for Acuna Jr. would bring in an effort to keep their current outfield together? I think so. What about you, Buster? Yeah, Nick, it would be crazy. <laughs> Not only because Acuna is going to be arguably the best player in the National League for years to come, but he's also locked into this long-term team-friendly contract. Like He's got like eight more years left on that deal. So yeah, it would be crazy. David at Baseball Fan 1918 writes in, how much is Eddie Rosario's price tag going up after this postseason? Yeah, and our friend Rena Benina, uh, she is a big Eddie Rosario fan, and I was uh, sending her messages back and forth during the series uh, during the postseason. Is Eddie Rosario was having a great performance? I think he's going to do better than he would have before the postseason, but I don't think it's he's going to get a crazy contract because teams are just not investing a lot of money in corner outfields. I would say I think he set himself up for like a you know two three year deal with somebody, but I can't imagine anything beyond that. Amy Chapman's up next at Amy R. Chapman. Amy writes, and Buster and Rev, I think most casual and even some regular baseball fans don't understand that the MLB commissioner doesn't actually represent the entire game. How about changing the title to a more accurate one? MLB team owner's attorney. Maybe we could just refer to Manfred as the uh, the team owner's attorney on here. <laughs> I think for the sake of branding, Major League Baseball, Amy, would not want that to happen. I think they do like the idea that uh, you know the casual fans thinks that uh, Manfred representing the interest of all the fans when we know that he's not really. Uh, he is the, as you say, the the team owner's attorney, the barrister. <laughs> 
Let's go to Brett Davis at Treehouse. Brett writes in, if we're talking about alternate names for the bullpen, what about the pitch pasture? I figured I'd run this by you. First, since you're the authority on all things cow related, no cows were offended in the creation of this tweet. That's a good one. Yeah, and he also thanked you, which is why you included it in the rundown of Bleacher well. tweets today. <laughs> I thought it was a nice. I like I like pitch pasture. Uh, arm barn, as I said the other day, I actually think that's pretty good, but I'm calling it the bullpen going forward. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, but I, I, I like that we can mix it up a little bit, too. I mean, unintended, unintended consequence uh, from this PETA thing, but maybe that's maybe we're playing right into our, their hand buster. And I don't really like that now that I'm thinking. Well, about you're it. the one who just mentioned PETA. I didn't even mention PETA. Let's go. Oh, dang it. <laughs> All right. Last one for today. Debbie Gammons Brown writes in DGB asks, do you ever set an alarm buster or does your internal clock? Just know when it's time to make the bagels. My internal clock knows when it's time to make the bagels. I will wake up, um, you know, no later than six o'clock every morning, no matter what. But I will say this. I do always set an alarm because back in the year 2000, I covered a season opening series in Seattle. Actually, it was 1998. uh, And I was supposed (laughs) to be on a 6 a.m. flight and I completely slept way past the time I was supposed to. I, I like woke up at the time people were probably boarding the flight at 545. And so after that, uh, I always set an alarm. Yeah, dangerous game not to set the alarm, even though you, you can generally rely on your body clock. But also, yep. I envision that you have like a, uh, it's been 23 years since the last time Buster only slept in like a counter on your wall or something um, that hopefully won't be reset anytime soon. Yeah, and it haunts me, as you can hear yeah. to this day. I can remember exactly that feeling of waking up and see looking at my cl- uh, watch and thinking, oh, jeez, how terrible is that? Oh, the worst feeling. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, to Sarah, to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Off to Houston. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.